0: Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Well, there's that. (laughs) There's actually, I think, a 30-minute trailer, but I think Pastor Ryan chose the 30-second trailer to show you all today because you'd have been equally as lost as to what's going on in this movie in the 10-minute trailer with the 30-minute trailer. So there's that. But anyway, as Pastor Chris shared, I am our church's outreach pastor, and I'm just grateful for the opportunity just to be with you today and to share today's message with you. In this series, excuse me, at, at the movies, we have had superheroes. We've had the gyrating king of rock and roll himself, Elvis Presley. We've had dinosaurs and special effects. And last week, we even had Pastor Scott's aviator glasses, Tom Cruise, and fighter jets. And somehow, we kind of took a crazy turn, and today we've got minions, fictional little yellow creatures that appear in Illumination's Despicable Me franchise. They're well-known, actually, globally for their childlike behavior and their unique little language. And I have to admit, I really have a hard time understanding what they're saying. And let me just say this, and maybe it should have actually been a sermon point about what we should or should not do on the job. A few weeks ago, the boss, PC, calls me into his office and he asks of me, of all the movies that we're going to be doing, besides Top Gun, because we know Pastor Scott called dibs on Top Gun back when he was in the eighth grade, <laughs> that you would be interested in using for your sermon in this series. So here I go, being the, taking the noble high ground, if you will, I respond to PC, no, PC, You go ahead and tell me which movie you'd like me to do, and I'd be happy to do it. I'm just honored for the opportunity to preach. Now, my new PC does not even make eye contact with me. He's looking at his laptop computer, and he says very quickly, too, I need you to do Minions. And I'm like, no! I'll do anyone but that one. So here we are, Minions, the rise of Gru, also known as Minions 2 to some. And it is this computer-animated comedy film produced by Illumination with a partnership with Universal Pictures. It is, in fact, a sequel to the original Minions that was released in 2015. And it is a spin-off or a prequel, if you will, to the main Despicable Me film series. It's very newly released in theaters back on July 1st. It was a Friday. And just this past Wednesday, Coastal took about 250 of our closest families and friends to see the movie out at Citadel Mall Theater. Now this particular movie features a 12-year-old felonious grew who is in the suburbs, growing up, if you will, in the mid-1970s. And he is this huge fanboy of a supervillain group known as the Vicious Six. And he aspires himself to become a, a global supervillain himself by hatching up evil plan in order to prove to them that he's worthy of joining them. Now I don't want to ruin the movie for you if you plan on going to see it, but I will just say this, the plan doesn't go well and he becomes the mortal enemy of the apex of evil and he has to enlist the help of his minions and Dr. Nefario to save the day. Now we might argue that this is a silly movie, but actually I went to go see it with much of the family and friends from Coastal on Wednesday and it was kind of entertaining actually. But like all the other movies in this series that we've been talking about, it too can we can find things in it that we too can use as a springboard, if you will, to discover some spiritual truth found in God's word. Now, in thinking about it, the young Gru, again as I just shared with you, he's aspiring to become this world-renowned supervillain who achieves this thing called world domination. And like Gru, perhaps most people aspire to achieve and accomplish things in life. And I'm sure you do too. So let me ask you a question. What are you passionate about? What thing or goal or opportunity that just causes your heart rate to increase when you think about it? You see, we may not be necessarily aspiring to become supervillains, but I dare say that we are all, in one way or another, aspiring for something. So, what friend are you aspiring to? Now, this thing about aspirations, they come in all shapes and sizes, and colors. Perhaps some will aspire to accumulate a lot of wealth. Others may aspire to achieve a highly successful career. Maybe you're aspiring to travel the globe one day. Or maybe you're just aspiring to be the life of the party at least once. Or maybe you're aspiring to be able to eat whatever you want, whenever you want, and never have to worry about gaining a pound. For some, it may be to remember, after your life ends on this earth, to leave behind a lasting legacy. And maybe you might be aspiring to live a life of no regrets. You see, with aspirations, ultimately, the possibilities are endless. But in this brief time that you and I have together, I'd love for the opportunity to challenge you with perhaps something different to aspire to, something a little, mess, a little less mainstream, if you will, something with long-lasting value. Something that can change your life not only now, but lasts long into eternity. Are you interested in hearing about it? Well, it's called Christian maturity. And hopefully, to pique your interest, let me just say this. With Christian maturity comes the manifestation of God's blessings over your life. Or more simply stated, as you're going to see on the screen, Christian maturity equals God's blessings over your life. Now, before you write me off by saying, Chris... I'm living my best life right now. Or thinking, you know, I'm feeling pretty blessed today. Oftentimes, though, we make the mistake of labeling God's blessings with what we have materially and tangibly. Things like money, possessions, status, career, and even positions. So what truly are we aspiring to? Are we aspiring or reaching for the things of this world or are we reaching for things that although we may not be able to see them today, will last long on into forever? Now, you hear this all the time at Coastal. We say it quite frequently, and that is this. Everyone has a next step. Now, a quick bunny trail, if you will. Parents, you can get, help get your kids off on the right track to Christian maturity by simply signing them up for VBS. It's gonna start tomorrow night, as Pastor Chris shared, and will run till next Friday night. And if you haven't registered, There's still time to do it, and it runs for both kids four years of age through the fifth grade, and you can actually sign up on your Connect card today to be a part of it. Again, this idea of everyone has a next step. Speaking of only myself, I sometimes make the mistake of assuming I'm this mature believer, that I have it all together, and that I have things figured out. But then I often also find myself falling headlong into this trap of thinking somehow that Jesus and I are like peas and carrots or peanut butter and jelly, if you will. But then I come across something like this in God's word. Listen to Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. It says this. No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good Not a single one. So here's the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to the church at Rome. But in reality, he's speaking to all of us and reminding us that whereas we may regard ourselves as being spiritually mature, and we may say that we're reading our Bibles every single day, and we may have actually recorded a list of good deeds in our minds, but the truth be told, none of us are where we need to be. We all have work to do. And we all have a little bit of growing to do. Now, I love you all like family, Coastal. But it's important that I say this to you, and I need for you to hear it. And that is, you have not made it, and neither have I. And this issue of lacking in Christian maturity is not some new thing, not something that we just discovered here just a few years ago. In fact, listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses one through three. It says, dear brothers and sisters, When I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, and you still aren't ready, for you're still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? And aren't you living like people of the world? Here again is the Apostle Paul. And he's addressing spiritual immaturity all the way back to the time of the early church. And he's talking to believers who by this time should have matured in their faith, but still find themselves entangled and trapped with the worldly, marked by things like envy and jealousy, and even finding themselves quarreling amongst one another. Paul goes on to describe them as as babies, even though the opportunity to become mature in their faith was right in front of them. Christian maturity, immaturity I should say, was very much a problem then, and it's very hard for us to argue that it's not a problem now. So if Paul argues that none of us have reached a place of maturity, that we all have work to do, and that this is some age-old problem, surely Jesus had something to say about it, right? Well, in fact, he does. Matthew chapter 5, I'm going reading in verse 1. It says, one day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. Jesus says this, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. And God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. And God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. This passage of scripture that we just read it's likely a very familiar passage to many of you, but it's affectionately known in the scriptures as being Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. But it's also known as the Beatitudes. The passage describes attitudes that Christian maturing Christians should be. Attitudes that ultimately result in the blessings of God. Attitudes that result in our experiencing and being blessed when we are in need. Blessed when we experience loss. The Lord's comfort and presence when we are hurt and when we are in need of mercy. Blessed with the opportunity to see and experience the Lord in our lives and to even to be called the children of God. Jesus is teaching us that this is what is promised to those who pursue the attitudes outlined in the passage that we just read. You see, these blessings are the hallmarks of a maturing, growing believer in Jesus Christ. And let me just say this. Christian maturity is absolutely obtainable for everybody. It's not reserved for the hyper-spiritual or the super-Christian. It's not reserved to the person who's memorized the word of God from cover to cover, although there's nothing wrong with that. And it's not exclusively reserved to those who pray those poetic prayers, although there's nothing wrong with that either. But it is reserved for those who simply know that they are broken in spirit and that they need a savior. It is reserved for those who mourn because they know they fall so short of the glory of God. It is reserved for those who are just humbled by the greatness of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross for the sins of the entire world. It's for those who see the brokenness of this world, the wrongs being committed every day, and the longing for Jesus to simply come and to make these things right. It's for those who make peace, even though the forces of hell are raging all around them. And it is reserved for those who strive to do right, even though others around them undermine them, steal from them, sabotage, talk about them behind their backs, and even do them wrong. This, friends, is what the blessings associated with a spiritually mature life looks like. Do we all want that? Well, what then are we aspiring to? Well, if Christian maturity brings forth God's blessings into our lives and none of us are where we need to be and we've all got some growing to do and we've already discovered that Christian immaturity is this age-old problem, well, then how is it pursued? I'm glad you asked. To reach this place of Christian maturity, we have to understand biblically what maturity looks like, which leads me to my very first point, point. and that is mature Christians are called to be both salt and light. I think it goes without saying that you and I, we live in a very divisive and polarized world. We're divided politically and socially and pretty much every way else imaginable. It seems as if people tend to disagree with just about everything. Our culture can be described as a people on edge, ready to explode or boil over at any moment. Anger is the seeming prevailing emotion of the day. In fact, cultural thinking can be described quite like this. Well, if people different than us would just affirm that what we believe is right about whatever topic we're in disagreement with, we wouldn't have all these problems, now would we? Why? Because the culture insists that we know our way is the only way, and after all, no one's smarter than we are. And so often, the opinions, The thoughts, the political, the religious and social tendencies that we have tends to trump everyone else's around us. But to the mature Christian, Jesus offers us a different way. Let's look a little further in Matthew 5, starting in verse 13. Jesus says this, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Jesus goes on to say, you're the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. I'll share a quick story with you. My wife, Kim, occasionally struggles with this thing called vertigo. It comes and goes, and there are these seasons in her life where she really struggles with it. She experiences things like the room spinning. She'll oftentimes lose her balance and she'll get these really bad headaches and at times she can become even nauseated. It can be quite miserable for her. Perhaps some who've experienced the pain of her vertigo can relate. But at some point a while back, she thought that salt intake, the salt intake in her diet, was the thing that was causing the problem. So she decided to cut it out completely, nearly completely. I'm telling you, friends, no added salt. No salted potato chips, no salt on her fries, no salt on steak, chicken, beef, no salt at all. And I felt so guilty sitting next to her at the table, just shaking all that salt away over my plate while she's off next to me living this salt free experience. So at some point, feeling the guilt and the shame of my poor suffering wife, decided I needed to take the journey with her. And let me just say this if you don't appreciate salt, try cutting out of your diet. And you too will see just how miserable the dining experience can be. So anyway, Kim and I, as we often do, because we are like the dynamic duo, come up with a plan. And we're gonna use this salt substitute known as Mrs. Dash. And let me just say this, it ain't no substitute. (laughs) It's not even close. The only similarity between salt and Mrs. Dash is that shaking motion you make over your plate when you're adding it to your food. That's where it ends. Now, forgive me, I'm sure there's somebody watching online or somebody in the room who's like, I love me some Mrs. Dash. But for, as far as I'm concerned, it's just no good. It's no substitute. But it isn't, it's, it may be a substitute, but it's not a replacement of the real thing. And it certainly doesn't make the dining experience any better. And it certainly didn't help with Kim and I's circumstance either. And I can actually remember my sweet Kim breaking down one evening in tears because she was just so over this bland dining experience. What's the point of that story? Well, my friends, salt has a way of making things better that the alternatives simply don't measure up. You see, mature Christians fully understand the value of salt. They understand that too much salt can ruin a dish as quickly as no salt at all. They understand that as mature Christians, a little pinch, just a little bit of salt, can go a long way, whereas the immature Christians will pour the whole bottle of salt on the plate. Or worse, they'll add the Mrs. Dash, a substitute that includes out of control emotions, assertions of truth without grace, and the insistence of always being right. But here is Jesus teaching us in this passage that the world that we are living in is rotting away and it needs flavoring and it needs preserving. So let me ask you again, what are you aspiring to? Are you aspiring to be the salt of the earth or have you settled for a salt substitute that doesn't flavor or preserve anything? Are you aspiring to be the light of the world, a gentle light guiding others around us towards a a better path? You see, the world needs both light And salt. And Jesus is encouraging us in this passage today to aspire to be mature Christians who both light and salt an equally dark and flavorless world. Are you thinking? We're called to be, we're called by Christ to be both light and salt, and then there's this. Mature Christians are also mindful of their eyes and of their hands. Not only are we living in a very divisive and polarized world as we just talked about a moment ago, but we are also living in a very compromising world, I think you would agree. A mentality of everything goes. A world that says, come on, man, let live and let live. A world that says, is it really sin if I'm not hurting anybody? a world that just chooses to toss aside the word of God, even going as far as discounting it as myth and fairy tale because it simply points out the depravity of sin, the sinful nature of all of humanity and its desperate need for a savior. So friends, how do you view sinful attitudes and behaviors in the world around you? Listen to how direct Jesus is though towards those sinful attitudes and actions when he says this a little bit further down in Matthew 5, starting in verse 27. Jesus says, you have heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery, adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away, because it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, I would imagine some of you have just heard that passage and you're like, whoa. Gouging out a perfectly good eye or cutting off one ha- one's hand as a response to sin? That's extreme. Maybe even causing us to raise an eyebrow, right? But allow me for just a moment, an explanation, just for the sake of us understanding Jesus here. I want you to imagine for a moment that you've got a disease that's either in your hands or in your eyes. And imagine this disease has the probability of spreading to other vital parts of your body and could ultimately that same disease result in the end of your life. Would you consider it then? You likely would. I would even dare say let's take another step and ask our physicians and nurses in the room and they'd likely tell you this, this kind of thing happens all the time. You see, in medicine, sometimes some things must be surgically removed so that the whole body can live. And friends, sin is deadly, and it has a way of destroying the entire body. Now granted, it's certainly drastic and a graphic image from Jesus. And he's not teaching us that after we say amen and we leave today, that we should go off and cut off our sinful hands instead of going out to lunch. Nor is he saying, go and gouge out your sinful eyes either. But what he is saying is that sin is more deadly than any disease that we might face. And whereas a physical illness may very well lead to our physical death, sin has a way of not only killing the physical body, but the spiritual body as well. And Jesus is taking, teaching us that we need to take whatever drastic measures necessary so that we remain clear of it. So mature Christians, they watch their eyes and their hands every day. You see, mature Christians understand the destructive power of sin and they are mindful of what they're allowing their eyes to see and they are mindful of what they're putting their hands to. You see, mature Christians ask questions like Is what I'm looking at honoring God? Is what I'm looking at honoring my spouse? Do I need to hide what I'm looking at from my children? Or would I even cause my family to blush by what I'm allowing my eyes to see? Mature Christians put their hands to the things that glorify God. They strive to be uncompromising in where they go and in what they do. They avoid the places that could lead to compromising situations. Mature Christians listen for the quiet prompting of the Holy Spirit. And they will take the drastic steps necessary to keep the disease of sin from ravaging their lives. Not only because they just acknowledge the destructive nature of sin, but because they simply love the Lord and acknowledge his promise of blessing that comes with simply being mature in their faith. So, mature Christians are salt and light. They are both mindful of their eyes and hands. And then there's this. Mature Christians love their enemies. We've already shared that in this world that we're living in today, we live amongst a people that are angry and on edge. And many are quick to fight and even cancel you for not agreeing with them. But listen to what Jesus had to say down in verse 43 of Matthew 5. He says this, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different than anyone else? Even the pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect. Perhaps this is most evident out there on this place called social media. Maybe you've heard of it. In this age of heightened tension. And while some in our culture would argue that the church is part of the problem, the church really has the potential to be part of the solution. But often, corporately, as a church, we fail to get it right. How do we fail to get it right? Well, we speak when we should be listening, we act when we should be praying. We think somehow that our job is to defend the church and the faith and Jesus regardless of the collateral damage we might cause. And oftentimes, unknowingly, the church will carpet bomb the entire culture with what we believe, thinking that somehow we can force our values out onto a faithless world by simply labeling those who are like me versus those who are not. It's so eerily similar to the way of the unbelieving world, isn't it? But Jesus is teaching us here, friends, that mature Christians indeed acknowledge the problems in the culture, but they aspire for change. They consider things, though, a little differently in that they they listen. They tend to be thoughtful while exercising things like humility and kindness and openness. When engaging the unbelieving culture, mature Christians love their enemies, those who think and act differently than they do. They strive to love people the way Christ loves them. You see, Christ loved those who agreed with him, and he equally loved those who disagreed with him. But the wonderful thing about Jesus is he takes it a step further. Jesus loved his enemies even to the point of his betrayal and death on the cross, and he's teaching us that we, as mature Christians, should do the same. So how do we tie all this together then? into this neat little package that we can take with us and put into our little spiritual tool bags. Well, we have to go back to the beginning and ask the question, and that is, are we like Gru in the movie Minions, aspiring for fame, for world domination, or some other worldly pursuits? Or are we aspiring to become more like Jesus as mature followers of Christ? Remember back at the beginning of the message, here at Coastal, we share this idea that everyone has a next step. None of us are where we need to be, And we should be pursuing actively every single day the prevailing attitudes that maturing Christians should possess. So let me ask you a very serious question. Or I should say a series of questions. When I ask you, you don't need to yell out the answer or anything like that. I just want you to reflect on these questions because there's a point. There's a place where we're going. And that is this. Looking back on your life, say six months ago, a year, or even five years ago, Can you honestly say there is a positive, noticeable change in your life? Perhaps better said is this. Can the people in your life, those closest to you, state that there is a notable change to where they can say, yes, you are indeed a mature and growing believer? Can those closest in your life say that you are both salt and light? Would they say that you are mindful of both your eyes and of your hands? Would those closest to you say that you love the people who oppose you, who think differently than you do, and even at times come against you? Or would they say they see the same person with many of the same pre-salvation attitudes not looking very much different than the rest of the unbelieving world? Ouch, right? What's reflective, sobering, and convicting questions? And our honest responses to those questions at times can leave us downright discouraged. But then there's Jesus. And there are so many things I love about Jesus. Perhaps one of the greatest things of all is his forgiveness. And it does not matter what the trajectory of our lives are right now. With Jesus, we can head in a totally different direction. With Jesus, you can experience life even as the flames of hell are raging all around you. You can stop right now, turn, and go a different direction. With Jesus, circumstances, friends, don't rule the day, our faith does. So let me ask you one more time. What are you aspiring to? What are you aspiring to? And do you need a different direction today? Listen, with Christian maturity comes a positive outlook, regardless of what's happening in this world around us. With maturity, there's an understanding that we don't have to fix everything. We don't have to voice every single wrong that we come across. We don't have to battle with everybody that's different than us. Why? Because we understand that Jesus does not need us to come to his defense. We simply need to be who he has called us to be. Because trust me, friends, it will take our entire lives to walk in what Christ has called each of us to do. And I will will say this with boldness today, and I believe it completely, that if we would resolve to being who God called us to be, you and I, we would change the world. But it all starts with a relationship. So the question is, do you have a relationship with Jesus? You can start right now today and begin what I like to call the journey of journeys. And instead of the storyline being the rise of GRU, it can be the rise of fill your name in the blank. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Oh, Lord, we are so thankful for your mercy. We thank you, Lord, you call us, Lord, to be both salt and light. We thank you, Lord, that you call us, Lord, to be mindful of where our eyes and where our hands are. You call us, Lord, to love our enemies. And Lord, I know, being a believer myself, Lord, that we all struggle with that. It doesn't come easy. And so often, Lord, we fall so short of it. And so, Lord, we would just pray today that as we hear this message, That everyone, Lord, would aspire, Lord, to be a mature believer. One, Lord, who enjoys, Lord, the blessings that comes, Lord, with walking exclusively, Lord, in the way you've called us all to walk. And Father, we pray also, Lord, for those who might be hearing this message today and be thinking, wow, I would love to be able to experience those blessings, but I I don't know Jesus And so, Lord, if that would be someone who's watching online or perhaps someone here in the room that does not know you or someone who has even drifted away, that they would pray a prayer simply like this. Father, forgive me, I am a sinner. I know that I fall so short of your glory. I have tried my own way and I have failed. But today I resolve in surrendering my life completely to you. I ask, Lord, that your spirit would come into me as I receive your gift of forgiveness and that you would show me a different path. That, Lord, you would show me, Lord, the error of my own way and show me, how, Lord, how your way is so much better. And that my life would be renewed from the inside out. And, Father, we thank you, Lord, for this church, for the opportunity, Lord, and the freedom just to proclaim your word, to be able to draw closer to you, to give you the praise, to give you the honor, to give you the glory. For you, Lord, and you alone are worthy of all praise. Help us, Lord, with this message that we too would be able to look back and be able to say a year, six months, or five years from now, we're more like you than when we are today. Father, we love you and we praise you. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.